Blog Talk Radio. Roger Linder from the TR Connection, and you are listening to Rundgren Radio. And I have sitting next to me my co-host, the lovely Cece Linder. Say hello, Cece. Hello. Thank you very much. Now, for some reason, Doug chose not to attend tonight. Mel is off cruising. I believe she's cruising the canals of Mars. But for tonight... We have a special guest, Brett Milano, and while we're waiting for him to call in, we have a few announcements that Doug has so conveniently provided for me. So let's see what he's got. A Watts, Akron One, that is the Sunday night show is expected to be sold out by this Friday or possibly even earlier. There are less than 20 tickets available. You can get those through Ticketmaster if you want to grab one of those. Show 2 in Akron on Monday night is on sale now, and all that information is available at www.awatslive.com. And Cleveland residents will start seeing the ads for the show in their scene magazine starting tomorrow and the Cleveland Scene Dealer starting on Thursday. And in mid-August, WNCX in Cleveland will be talking it up for us. So if you don't have your tickets for Monday night's show, you better get them as soon as you can. And we've got... Stamford, which was announced last week, those tickets are going on sale this Saturday morning at 11 a.m. ET. I don't think that means extraterrestrial. I think that means Eastern Time. So you have more information available at awatslive.com. Those prices are going to range from $60 to $125 per ticket, and there is a $5 convenience charge. And... To let you know about that, I'm going to play the little radio commercial that Doug has prepared. Legendary pop rock icon Todd Rundgren is returning to Fairfield County. Performing his seminal 1973 album, A Wizard, A True Star, in its entirety at the Stanford Center for the Arts Palace Theater on September the 9th. A Wizard, A True Star is universally heralded as the most innovative album of its time. information is available at awatslive.com. Don't miss this rare opportunity to see Todd Rundgren perform this groundbreaking progressive rock album. Visit 
visit awatslive.com. That's awatslive.com today to reserve your chance to witness rock and roll history September the 9th at the Palace Theater in Stamford. We need That sounds like a pretty good show. So if you're going to Stamford, Connecticut, that's Wednesday night of, of the, after Labor Day, check out that show. Well, Doug has been talking up Todd Fest West, and I happen to know a little bit about that. You can get your information about Todd Fest West, of course, at toddfestwest.com. There's also a Facebook page. But if you want to go to Todd Fest West, you got to contact me at RSVP2009 at ToddFestWest.com. If you're going to come, we're going to have a good hot day in the late August, and we're looking forward to having a really good time. This will be the 12th time that we've had a Todd Fest West, and we took a couple of years off, and we are back in full force here. It's going to be here in Antelope, California, which is just outside of Sacramento, That's in Northern California, nowhere near Southern California. California is a nice, long state. So we're up in the north. Doug also wanted to mention that Chasm Sultan is doing a gig with the full band in Maryland on October 30th. It's a Friday night. And there's information available at, uh, I guess, Chasm's Facebook page here. I'm not going to read the entire thing out, but uh, we'll We'll be able to get that out to you somehow. But there is tickets available at www.micorestaurant.com. That's M-I-C-H-O restaurant.com. Well, first of all, before we go into any more announcements, I do have a caller. I'm hoping that's Brett. And uh, I will bring him up. Brett, is that you? We're working on this... uh, Interface here. No, it's not working yet. Here we go. Hello? Yeah. Hello, is hey. it Brett? Hey, Roger, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, great. How are you doing? Great. So, this is Brett, right? That is me. Okay, yeah. I'm going to make sure that someone else does it right. That's it. Could have an imposter coming up. Okay. Well, as I told you earlier today, I am unskilled in the art of interviewing, and you told me that you can talk a lot. So. Yeah. Okay. Bad habit of mine. Now I've got a, f- a few more announcements that I'm going to come in a little bit later in the show with. Uh, we'll take a little break at that time there, but uh, hopefully we've got you for two hours. Wow. So that's how much time we've got. I don't know how much time you've got. I, I will try. I will try my best to remain entertaining. Okay, sounds good. We have the chat room open. People are going to. You know, people are complaining that I'm in a can here, but uh, that's the way it's going to sound. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a nice cushioned wall. I think it's just echoing off the wall. It's okay. I'll, I'll join you in the can. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Am I too loud, people? You could tell me on the. Uh, you want to be a little louder. Okay. Watching the chat here. Okay. So anyway, Brett. Uh, yeah. I, I know that 
you have quite a bit of accomplishments uh, under your belt there. We've uh, yeah, I I guess my main my main Todd involvement goes back to when I was at Rhino Records, uh, which was in the early '90s. And along with a couple of other people there, I was kind of one of, one of the resident fans uh, that was at Rhino at that time, along with uh, Gary Peterson, who I hope is still there because he did some good stuff. And um, basically, I was allowed to work on a couple projects that were close to my heart, uh, one of which was putting together the, uh, the LP Worth of Productions compilation, which came out, I think, in 92. And then I also wound up doing notes for the very best of Todd CD, which is uh, kind of all the all the most obvious hits on one disc. And there was also the uh, the Oblivion uh, and POV CD. I did the notes for as well. Okay, yeah. Well, those I've, I've read through those liner notes, and I, I was just really just with how how much information you were being able to pack into them. They, yeah, the, I mean, I got wound up. They they packed it pretty tight in the Oblivion CD. There's a whole lot of text in there, but I'm glad they did that instead of making me cut. Um, there was also, for a time, um, planned in the planning stages was an, a uh, deluxe reissue of Something Anything, which wound up not happening, unfortunately. Uh, it would have included the, the Todd Radio Show CD that has still, I don't think, ever come out officially. Um, that wound up being scuttled Probably because, probably because they figured out how many samples there were on that record that they'd have to clear. But I did wind up doing a really good interview with Todd for that, which has not yet seen the light of day, and I hope that it will someday soon. Yeah, I remember reading about the uh, the Marx Brothers clips or were the ones that were sort of causing the issues, but I imagine there were plenty of other samples as well. Oh God, yeah. I mean, that was. I mean, I got to ask Todd about that record because if, for people that have heard it, they know it's pretty amazing. He said he um, spent. Uh, he said he spent uh, about half the time he spent on something, anything itself, making that radio show. And, and it shows. It's certainly uh, packed full, packed full of information. Yeah, it's a really fun listen. I know that Doug played it here on Rutgers Radio. Um, oh, several months back. Yeah. As, as a special treat, and and I've, I've heard it myself a number of times. I have a, a bootleg of it. Maybe a, a officially released version would be cleaned up a little bit, but it's still. Yeah, fun. I mean, I once worked at a um, a uh, I did a radio show at at Mount Holyoke Radio back in uh, in 1977 or something, and they had a whole stack of records in there that had not been touched, and nobody really knew what they were, and. In there, I found an original copy of the Todd Radio Show, and it's still one of the one of the regrets in my life that I was too nice to steal it. So, yeah. if anybody at Mount Holyoke College is listening, if you could dig that up and send it to me, if it's still there, yes. Yeah. Uh, did you did you mention your involvement with the uh, LPs or the productions? Yeah, that was the first uh, the first project I got to do for Rhino. And one thing I think that was special about that, particularly about that CD, is that a lot of that music had not at that time been been made available on CD yet. 
I think you can get a lot of the parent albums now, but at that time, you know, the Felix Cavalera track and the Steve Hillage and the Fanny and all those different uh, different tracks just weren't available anywhere. So it was really nice to bring that stuff to light and also kind of to shed shed some light on how much interesting music Todd had been involved with over the years. Yeah, I I know that when I got my copy, there were several tracks there that that I knew were productions, but I had never had a chance to hear them, so that was a particular delight. Yeah, certain things, like I still think that Billy For You by Tom Robinson is one of the great overlooked tracks. I mean, you know, Todd producing it, Peter Gabriel co-wrote it. Um, you can pretty much hear Chasm singing the high parts. It's a real super group on that song, and it's just, it's a, I think, a pretty classic tune. Now, is that off of Tom Robinson 2? It is, yeah. It was the... Uh, the the, the I, non-hit single off that album. Yeah, yeah, I picked it up uh, on record, but not on CD. And so I I had I bought the record after I think I found it in a used bin someplace or something. Yeah, it had a short-lived CD reissue, and you know I recently checked, and the version they're selling on iTunes actually has a bunch of rare tracks tacked onto it. So I'm wound up probably buying it again just to get those. Well, now, did you write a lot of, I can't remember exactly what the uh, liner notes extent was on that particular. On that, I did wind up, um, that was quite a number of years ago, but I did wind up talking to Todd and getting a few reflections about uh, about various things that he'd worked on. Um, it was one of, one of my first times kind of talking to him on the record, but it went pretty well, I think. And, um, you know, we were a bit constricted as to what we could license. I know there were a few things that we would have loved to put on that compilation that we could not get a hold of, um, Cheap Trick being one of the main, one of the main problems there. But, um, but I think it came out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a very nice, you know, it had, had some things that were relatively obscure, but other things that were really accessible. Yeah. And... Uh, to see, there was no meatloaf on there, was there? Um, I don't think. Um, let's see. I, off the top of my head, I don't think so. I know it was. Uh, it was one of the uh, tracks on the wish list that we'd have. Although, did we? Um, actually, I'm going to look it up now. Um, I'm maybe all ripped up and no place to go made it onto that. That there was there was so much to choose from, so I imagine even trying to to whittle it down to what you could fit onto a CD would was a, a tough choice as well. Yeah, that was my first uh, my first experience of I mean, because I um, I actually got to do the uh, the um, track listing and the compilation and what would go next to what on it. So I had fun kind of trying to decide what would go next. You know, what song would sound good coming after what other song. And oh yeah, we got Sean Cassidy on that. I almost forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that that was a real classic. Yeah, that that was an unusual album. It was it was. I think. Uh, well, I mean, that album has gone the way of uh, you know the way of the dinosaur. But I think uh, people might have fun if they rediscover it. You know, certainly in the uh, you know you, you compare it to a lot of today's teen pop, and it's a lot better than that. And hey, there was a Talking Heads song on it. Yeah, well, it certainly was a departure for Sean Cassidy in terms of the type of music that he was 
putting out before that, the, the, the teen pop, as you say. It certainly raised some eyebrows. Yeah. I thought I thought his his vocal treatments was a little odd. It was a little odd. It was a little bit of like a... If you've heard, like, you know, the serious records that David Cassidy made in the 90s and the uh, the Donny Osmond comeback attempt album from a few years ago, it was kind of, kind of in that vein. Right. They were certainly... C- kind of like, I am a serious artiste now. Yeah. But I think that's what he was going to. I know yeah. the uh, David Bowie cover, or, well, the Rebel Rebel. That's right. He, t- he tried doing Rebel Rebel. That was pretty amusing. Uh, basically, that that was a Utopia album, just with a different singer. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one that wished uh, Utopia had used one of the usual singers on that album instead. But there you go. Yeah. Oh, well, what can you say? Well, in terms of of your other liner notes for for the reissues and the best of collections, you you spent uh, an amount of time speaking with. Todd, I guess, and did you speak with the other band members as well? Um, for the Utopia one, I did. Um, I did talk to a couple of the other band members because um, that was the only one I did that was Utopia rather than rather than Todd solo. Um, and as I said, probably uh, unfortunately, the best interview I did with Todd Ferrino was the one for the uh, for the Something Anything uh, liner notes that never came out. I mean, he even he even spoke at that point about uh, how how each different drug that he took at the time like would would manifest itself on a different album, with something anything being the Ritalin album, and then the Acid album was the Wizard later on. But uh, bit yeah. of insight. That, yeah. Is uh, is is there any? I mean, with with something anything possibly never going to be released in this this format is is there a possibility that those liner notes would ever see the light of days in some other form I would probably have to find them at this point I mean it was a good a good 10 years ago but I am hoping that somebody you know if not me I hope somebody um, you know does a really good reissue program of all the Todd records and and does you know do, does another round of interviews because I'd certainly love to hear his thoughts on a lot of the various albums and and how he might see them now. I mean, as as we all know, he's going back to one album later this year and, and dealing pretty extensively with that. But I'd love to hear how he would relate to each of the albums that came later nowadays. It looks like we've got uh, a caller coming in here that would like to uh, wow. ask questions. So I'll bring that person on. This is uh, area code 617, which, of course, Brent... Someone from down the street. Must be someone I know. Someone you know. So, uh, 617, please, you're on the air. Or maybe not. The interface is giving me some... Hello? Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, we can. You're on the radio. Okay. uh, Hey, Brett, this is Bill Salome. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Good. I am down the street. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. both in Somerville. Yeah, I pass your house on the way to the gym every day. <laughs> so, 
So uh, me and Brett. I should, I should tell people that I, I know half my. I owe uh, like at least half my Todd bootlegs to the guy on the phone here. <laughs> no problem. It's all for a good cause. Yeah. But uh, me and Brett go way back because. Oh, yeah. um, um I, I think even before Todd, I think we had a connection with the Smithereens and Baron Whitfield and later the Pursuit of Happiness. But like, yeah, but I think the first time I remember like us talking was like, didn't you didn't you talk to me for uh, the Utopia Times at that point? Exactly in '84. Do you know why I talked to you? Oh, what did I? Um, yeah, what was your number I wrote one some, choice for album of the year? That's right. That's right. Because I I had heard acapella, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you really stuck your neck out with that one, you know, like acapella, yeah. best album. Yeah, I I was so in love with that album, and you know, I still am. But especially when it came out, it was so you know so ahead of its time and so you know jarring at that time. So, so yeah, I guess uh, I guess the Utopia fandom certainly really latched onto me when I said that. Yeah. And um, the tour was great too. Like, yeah. it was like the inverse of the uh, what, what was that instrument he used? The emulator. The, yeah. That that digital keyboard thing. Uh, I think it was called the emulator. But like the inverse of that was to have eleven voices, you know, rather than a machine, for the tour. Yeah, and he did that. Where I think he did it was Avalon in Boston. Uh yeah. Yeah, it, it must have been. But, you know, that was a great tour, a great time. Oh, yeah, I mean, and, I remember seeing that one. Yeah, but, like, you've always had integrity, Brett, over the years, you know. And, uh, oh, I'm trying my best to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not working. Damn. Like, how, how many books have you written? Uh, I know I, at least two. Two. There, there are two. Okay, two. All right. And but, like, since, since you're allowing me to do a plug here, I'll say I, I, wrote, I wrote Vinyl Junkies and the Sound of Our Town. Exactly. The the love of records, the love of vinyl. Yeah, that's a big big motivating factor in my my whole life. Uh huh. And the other one was about specifically about Boston. Right? Yeah, the last one um did a did a book called The Sound of Our Town, which is about uh, it's it's a Boston rock and roll history basically, and just kind of trying to uh, trying to encompass everything that happened here from the fifties through. Uh, you know, as, as close as I could get it to the present, which was about uh, two years ago when I wrapped the thing up. But uh, great fun to do, and you can still find it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's at my library. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the uh, I, I noticed the, the Vinyl Junkies, well, I guess both of them are available on Amazon. But they are indeed, yeah. Junkies is there, and they have a, a fairly extensive excerpt from the book, and I was looking through it today, and it looks like a, a really good read. Vinyl junkies. Yeah, Vinyl Junkies, I'm glad to say, is kind of taking on a bit of a life of its own over the last uh, five years that it's been out. Um, I still do, you know, I hear from people who found it and have just read it, and, uh, you know, it, it's actually done pretty well for itself, which is a nice surprise, because when you write a book, Especially like me, if you've never done it before and you're you're a bit self-conscious and you don't know how the whole thing's going to work out, um, to get it out there and you know to find out that years after you did it, people are people are digging it up. I'm sure that everybody that made a record or whatever has that experience that something you did is still a, still out there and it's alive. But it's my first experience having that and it's really fun. 
Yeah, I, oh, well. I found it, this particular quote from the book, and I, I really liked it because I, I relate to it really well. So now I understand why a lot of record collectors don't do drugs. When they crank that stereo up, they're already doing one. Absolutely, which is not to say that there aren't a lot of record collectors that do do drugs. <laughs> I, I, I will amend that statement. Yeah, but uh, that, 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 uh, there's just just music in general, but you know, listening to records, listening to CDs or something like that, I've always just found that to be a high in itself. Oh, yeah, and just, you know, I mean, it was a big part of my life is just the whole the whole textural thing you get about taking a new record out of the uh, out of the, out of this shrink wrap and the way it would stick to the inner sleeve the first time you take it out and all those memories I was thinking of when I when I wrote the book and and how addictive it was you know for me at a very young age certainly when I was uh, when I was uh, ten or eleven or whatever. In fact, um, yeah. I'll say that that's that's how I discovered. Todd Rundgren was one I was, um, and there was a record store near me. It wasn't even a record store. It was like a, a shopping mall department store kind of place. And they had a copy of Something Anything that somebody had slid open. So the shrink wrap was open. The records were out there. And I wound up just stealing the insert. Um, with that, you know, I wouldn't have stolen the music, but I did steal the insert and took it home. And I spent like the next few days just kind of reading this thing and reading all of his comments on the songs. And that was how I kind of got into got into hearing Todd was just I had heard one or two songs by then, but just the notes that he wrote were so interesting and kind of drew you into his world. So that led to me buying the record and the rest is history. Yeah, I think a lot of people in those days, that's what, what got them started was something, anything for me. Uh, a friend of mine played me, I guess, I guess it was a cassette of something, anything. And he yeah. had me listen to Black Mariah. And I had heard Hello, It's Me, and, and I saw the light on the radio, but when he played me Black Mariah, and I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah, that one, yeah, that one I had heard on the radio too, so I knew that was, I knew how good that was. And also, uh, if if your friend had the cassette, I mean, I own the. I bought when I bought that album. I bought the pre-recorded cassette, and it sucked because they they cut off. Uh, they didn't have the intro to side two, and they didn't have the intro to side four. So some of the most fun things about the record you were missing. Yeah, I'm not sure if he had a commercial cassette or he had just dubbed it so that he could play it in his car. Yeah. But uh, definitely, it was my first first real exposure beyond the radio, and and from that point on, I was a fan. Yeah, so so you kind of got into Wizard of True Star in real time as well, right? It had already come out, so I, they, you know those those other songs were playing on the radio from from something anything, and a Wizard of True Star. I remember reading about it in one of the music magazines and the whole postcard thing, but by the time I actually bought it was a true star, the whole postcard thing was over. So probably when I really started was just about the time that the Todd album came out and and I had picked up those and, and it, it was a few years before I went back to the back catalog and picked up yeah. Todd Rundgren and, and then even even further along in my fandom before I went back to the NAS stuff. 
Yeah, no, I, 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 I was lucky. I did get Wizarded Two Star when it came out, so I am, uh, I am in the poster. But my name, my first name is at the end of one column, and my last name is at the beginning of another column, so it's kind of split up. But uh, it was definitely a very strange thing to get Wizarded Two Star, you know, when I was like twelve, and um, had only heard something, anything before. And I'll be the first to admit I didn't understand a word of it, but it t- certainly got to me later on. Yeah. Well, I know. I, I remember. What was it? I guess. I guess it was probably Faithful, when Faithful came out, and of course there was no publicity for that one at all. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I used to do all my record buying at Tower Records. It started in Sacramento, and so I would go into Tower Records and be looking, and I said, "Oh, a new Todd Rundgren album." And so I went ahead and picked it up, you know. But of course, I hadn't heard about anything, and of course, that was a great album as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point I was expecting, you know, hoping and expecting there'd be something really unusual about whatever record he just put out. Um, you know, certainly was the case with Faithful with the first side. But after, uh, you know, after you get a record like Initiation, where suddenly you get a record that's twice as long as anyone else, any other record you've ever owned and sounds really different, too. I think I think a lot of us were kind of looking to Todd to sort of just surprise us in some way every time he put a record out back then. Yeah, I don't think people had realized even at that time that pretty much every record that comes out from that point forward was going to be very much different from the one before. Yeah, yeah, that's that seems to still kind of be the case too. Right. Yeah, we we expect that now, but. Yeah. You know, people say, well, how come this doesn't sound like Todd Rundgren that I know? <laughs> yeah, but uh, but that kind of is the Todd Rundgren that you know, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I've been able to, um, I've had a, a number of interviews with him over the years and always always very, you know, I know he's been on, been on this show quite a few times too and always really enjoy it because he's always been a real gentleman and a real pleasure to talk to. Yeah, I would say the the only time that I've actually extensively interviewed Todd was way back in the early 90s when, when CompuServe was still a going thing. And mm-hmm. we had some sort of online chat, and it was basically the interview was was through through just, you know, typing messages back and forth to a live audience. But uh, actually sitting down and, and asking him questions so much, you know, in an interview format, I've, I've had a chance to talk with him. A number of times, but not really. You know, I, I don't use that opportunity to grill him about anything. Yeah, he's, he's he's usually pretty good about being grilled. I mean, I've gotten him managed to touch touch base. Yeah, I've managed to touch base at times when something really interesting was going on. I mean, I did uh, talk to him when when uh, No World Order was happening and, and when the new cars were happening, and a couple of other times. So. So it's always uh, it's always good to get his take on whatever's going on. Most definitely. Oh. Let's see. I'm looking here at the uh, questions here. Some of these are questions that that Doug sent me in advance. Uh, I'll flip this one here. Now you were at Rhino Records, so what? What are the, some of the major changes that you've seen in the music business since those days at Rhino? 
Well, I mean, it doesn't seem like a, a label like what Rhino was at that time is ever going to be around again, at least not for a while, sad to say. Because um, Rhino was really, you know, it kind of was what what it was cracked up to be at that point, which was just a company full of, of music nuts, or at least with a few music nuts in really influential positions. And if you look at what Rhino was releasing at that time, there was just a lot of off-the-wall uh, a lot of off-the-wall reissues and things that you never thought you would ever see on see on CD. I mean, I came out of there with a, you know, Best of Buddy Knox CD, and uh, you know, it's kind of very very weird 50s and 60s music that you can never see. And of course, they got they got so far into the monkeys and put out all these great monkeys records left and right that were fun to have. I mean, I'm still a. Uh, I'm, I still consume way too much music, I'm glad to say, but I don't really buy it from record stores as much anymore. Yeah, there's, there's, it's harder and harder to even find a record store. We've got a, a couple of decent ones still. Like, like I mentioned, Tower Records. Yeah. But, but uh, the founder of Tower Records is still here in Sacramento, and he opened up another record store called R5 in the old Tower Records site. And so yeah. they still great stuff. And we have a, another local chain called Fiddle Records that's available. And, and so it's nice to, to get in there and, and see physical product and not the limited physical product that you would find in, in something like a Walmart or, or something where you know you're not going to find the artist you like. Yeah, and of course, being in L.A., I mean, I could hang out at the Rhino store all day and, and also at Aaron's Records in Hollywood. And both of those stores were, were just landmarks because there was so much stuff, um, you know, be, they, be it uh, strange imports that, of things you never heard of or, or uh, the yard sales they used to have with everybody's vinyl from the last 30 years. I certainly uh, came away from two years in L.A. with probably twice as much vinyl as I came in with. Now, how extensive is your vinyl collection? It's getting, you know, it's getting pared down a little bit. I mean, I came out, I've got, a, I've got, a, sure, I've got a few thousand vinyl records and a couple thousand more CDs, you know, but I'm lately uh, going the same route as everybody and sticking it all on the iPod, which is really, I mean, I'm having great fun with it because it does change the way you listen to everything and kind of makes you focus in on, in on the song in a way that you never did before, and that to me is fun. But yeah. I do have, yeah. I mean, I still, I'm still collecting. I'm still coming across things I never thought I'd find. Yeah, so for me, the the album experience is still tops. You know, I, I don't go for individual songs. You know, I, I practically insist when I'm listening to something, even on the iPod, I listen to the album. I don't listen to individual tracks. Every once in a while, I'll put it on the shuffle mode or something like that. But most of the time, I really like to listen to the album from start to finish. I mean, what I would do with, with uh, when I got an iPod was I'd load in like the album of, uh, take all my favorite people and load in the album I had listened to the least. So I'd rediscover it that way and just hear specific tracks in a different way. And, you know, Furtado was probably like, probably with a twist was the album I'd listened to the least. So I put that in and wound up really getting to like it. You know, I often find when, even with, with some Todd albums, to go back like two albums from whatever the 
album is because that might be the one that I haven't listened to a lot lately. Because you know, yeah. I've listened, you know, many many times when it first came out, then the next thing comes out, and then I haven't listened to that, and maybe visit earlier stuff in the catalog. But it's that two two uh, albums before. So right now, I guess well, that would put us in visualist, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah. There, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm still I, I'm I'm liking to listen to No World Order. It's uh, that's a hard that's a hard one to listen to one track at a time. You pretty much got to go through, go all the way through with that one. Yeah, you listen to the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's the same rule that applies if we want to throw in a non-Todd reference is listening to Dark Side of the Moon or something. You've got to <laughs> to listen to that whole thing in one take. Yeah. Well, that one, that one's kind of so ingrained in the consciousness that you kind of hear one note of it, and your mind sort of reconstructs the whole album right there. Yeah, you, you hear it, you just hear the cash register once, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Let's see, but, well, yeah. one of the other things, I, I, I wanted to ask you, I, I read a little bit online of what you had written about the time that the new cars came out. And yeah. I wanted to have a, a little bit more since, you know, being in Boston and, and, and the original cars, of course, there, yeah. you, know, you, you had a take with it. And it sounded like you had a, a somewhat positive take on it. But, uh, so See, I really it. liked it. And, you know, I, I know that there's been a lot of heated debate about it. Um but, I mean, a lot of the debate was about should they have done it without Rick Ocasek, and you knew from the get-go that Rick Ocasek wasn't going to do it. I mean, that was kind of the given. So, I mean, the question is, do you want to see a really credible band going out and playing these songs? And for me, sure. I mean, and, of course, it made a difference that they got somebody we really liked to be the front man. But uh, I enjoyed the heck out of that tour, and I'd seen the cars, and, um, you know, I, I, it was pretty pretty faithful to what my memories of the cars were. I mean, having the Ming, having uh, Elliot and Greg there certainly made the sound very much what I, what I had come to expect from the group. And I'm kind of disappointed that they never did get around to, to making a full album of new car stuff, because I really thought it was promising. But uh, I, I do I do think it was a bit too much of a departure from what the cars were for for most people to take. So it wound up not not probably not taking off for that reason. Yeah, well, the, the sidetrack of the tour just when it was getting started with the broken car that didn't that that sure didn't help. And so that that you know several months for that to happen and and all of the advanced preparation and then, and then all the advanced planning and everything that got into that really really did uh, take that tour down yeah. from where people would. And when they started up again, it was nice to see them again, but it just didn't have the momentum anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess anyone from Boston would know that Elliot Easting and Greg Hawks are really good guys. So I think a lot of us were just really pulling for them, trying to you know, hope hope they could get, get, get it off the ground or out of the garage or whatever. Yeah, well, I know people are looking forward to seeing Greg Hawks with the uh, Was It a True Star? Yeah. I mean, Greg, Greg and Roger on keyboards together is going to be pretty something, yeah. That's really going to be something. I know. Right, I'm, glad, I'm glad that Greg's in the orbit now, because I mean, Todd does kind of call on the same people over the years to do different projects, and I'm, I'm glad that Greg is kind of part of the cast of characters now. 
Yeah, I, I know. I saw him with the uh, the forties, uh, the Sergeant Pepper tribute. Yeah. As, as well as the new cars, but it was nice to see him in that particular mix as well, and he certainly added a lot to the sound of that particular tour. Yeah. And he's someone, I mean, I still see him, you know, I saw him at the uh, the Arena Tour show just recently in Boston. He was there just, just to see the show. Now, in, you know, being being in the Boston area, you know, of course, you, you mentioned that you did enjoy that, but uh, did you ever gauge the reaction of, of other Boston area fans as, as to... They thought about it. Did they think total ripoff, or were they sort of in support of it, or was it? Sort well, of there was a lot of. I mean, we wrote this. Uh, I, I write sometimes for the Boston Herald, and we did a point counterpart, sto- point counterpoint kind of story for the Herald on whether they should have done it, and we had a, a good debate about it there. But to me, it was it was a show that I mean, there was only ever one show in Boston that they played, and it was an outdoor thing, you know, double bill with Blondie. And it was pretty well attended, and the response was, you know, was real favorable. Of course, you know, you don't know about the people that opted to stay home. But I think um, it was one of those things where I think if they had done it a few times and come around and, and, you know, given people a chance to see it, I think a lot of people would have liked it. But um, A lot of cases where people just sort of dismiss the idea out of hand and says, I'm not going to bother to see that. But if they had actually gone to see it, it would have been a different story. Yeah, and I think the people that did go to see it, you know, were, were, were pretty impressed. Yeah, I mean, right. uh, if nothing else, I mean, that was probably the best version of Black Mariah I've ever heard was the one they played that night. Yeah, well, you know, what the other highlights of, of at least of the Todd material was uh, I saw the light because up until that time there really hadn't been much opportunity where you had two guitars going. And That's right, so you really heard the harmony bit. They had the harmony guitar in there and, and you thought, wow, that's, that sounds on the record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of wish they had gone with, you know, calling it Autopia or something like that where it wasn't you know, it wasn't going to be the cars. It was going to be something else, and they they did some of both. And and maybe if they put it forth as more of a new band, it might have been more accepted than it was. Yeah, that's that's true. I know, I know that uh, on the TR Connection forums, when that was happening, there was a lot of people. And Autopia, of course, was one of the names that was bandied about, and. And of course, they, of course, they eventually settled on new cars. But it was it was fun to to speculate at least to what they were going to call them. Yeah. So so they did officially consider that name. I, I saw in a in an interview online that that Todd even mentioned that particular Autopia name, but uh, whether or not it was in serious consideration, it was hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I I did. I think I did mention it to him when I talked to him that at that point he said something like, uh, don't think we haven't considered that. So, uh, yeah, I think that would have been, actually would have been a pretty clever name to use, but there you go. Yeah. Let's delve a a little bit uh, deeper into some of your other fandom here. I I pulled up, I guess there's a, 
a magazine or or a newspaper in the Boston area called The Noise? Um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, uh, I'm not I'm not really part of The Noise. I mean, I've been I've did some stuff for them sometimes, but uh, that's basically one guy by the name of Team Axe that's been putting it out for whew, something like 25, maybe even 30 years now. Um, one one guy who's extremely devoted to the local music scene, and he has been putting out this local music zine every month for the past forever. And you know, I think a lot of a lot of our lives would be a little bit lacking if we didn't have it. Well, they had. I, I guess they must have a feature. I guess Rolling Stone has the same kind of thing 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And so they got. Oh yeah. This was April 1988, so it was just last year. And this is 20 years ago, and I thought this was pretty neat that these two things were sort of in conjunction. And the first thing says, who do people plan to vote for for president? Of course, this is 1988, and uh, the candidates' names were Billy Ruane. Never heard of that. Uh, yeah, I think a, people – Billy Ruane's hard to explain if you're not in Boston, but um, do you know who Beetle Bob is? Beetle Bob, I think I've heard that name. Uh, kind of like the most the most colorful scenester person you can imagine. That's who Billy is. Yeah. So so Billy, of course, Todd Rundgren was running for president. Yes. Uh, popular things. Spuds McKenzie. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Jackson, Pat Robertson, Robert Dole, George Bush, and the Duke. So those were people that were. The Duke being the Duke being our governor at that time, Michael Dukakis. Oh, Dukakis, okay, all right, yeah. yeah. The Duke, California, probably around that same time, King Duke Magian. And then yeah. the other thing, the other quote they mentioned here is, is a youthful Brett Milano wearing the next TC T-shirt is pictured in the gossip column. So you wow. Particular thing, and then the, yeah. A little editorial quote that he put in it says, "Given his experience, Brett appears to be aging better than most of us." <laughs> Whoa! Uh, I'm glad they said that. <laughs> of course, they said that a long time ago. I don't know if it's still true or not. Well, that was only last year. Oh, wow! So this, this, this is the editorial comment is based on. Okay, yeah. twenty years ago, the picture was there, but then the, the little editorial comment is current. Yeah, I have seen old photos of myself in the noise, and uh, I can't believe I'm on the internet talking about photos of myself in the noise. But that's 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 the modern world for you. Um, yeah, and I probably still have the XTC shirt somewhere, and I might even still be able to fit into it. Knowing me, I'm going to go home tonight and find out. Now, have have you also done liner notes for XTC albums? Or, no, I mean I'm not, but I have, you know, I was a major fan of theirs, and I did. I have done Cars liner notes. There is a there is a double Cars CD collection that I did the notes for, and also the uh, the deluxe version of the first album has got some of my stuff in it too. But that that was again back in back in the Rhino days when I, um, you know, and they kind of threw they kind of threw me the Boston type projects. There's also a CD on Rhino called Mass Ave, which is the um, it's a Boston rock history CD that came out in the in the uh, early '90s, and it has a lot of the essential Boston underground kind of tracks, including some Mission of Burma and you know a Cars demo and some The Liars and Human Sexual Response and all that. It's a hard disc to find now, but I 
definitely recommend it if people can find it. Now, uh, one of the other things that I found when I was Googling around that, that you seem to be a, a big rock band aficionado. Well, I actually work for the company that makes it. <laughs> because I, I see a lot, you have like a, a weekly or semi-weekly, uh, I don't call them or whatever you would call them. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, but that's that's kind of my gig at the moment is I'm one of the editorial people at the at the website connected to Rock Band. So I've done I've been able to do some did some audio interviews with different people that have songs in the game, and um, you know do weekly write ups of some of the stuff that's some of the stuff we have put out. So it's definitely uh, without meaning to I kind of got myself into you know this this particularly hot medium for nowadays. Now, do you do you also play the rock band, or I've started to since I've been here. Um, I only play on drums. That's kind of the instrument I love to play. Um, and if you've if anybody's ever played the game, you know that uh, the playing drums in rock band is very much like playing kind of Simmons drums or electronic drums. It has you do have to execute the patterns and. If you're playing on expert level, you do have to do a lot of tricky bass drumming. You know, it, it's not um, playing on guitar is not quite the same as playing a real guitar, but playing it on drums can get awfully close. So um, I I got pretty addicted because they do have. Uh, if you work in the office, there are you know game sets set up at different places, and people are encouraged to play the game for a, a few minutes each week anyway. Um, so I have gotten very much into playing rock band drums, and I can get through a number of songs on expert level, not the really tough ones. Um, some songs, there's a lot of uh, a lot of death metal and speed metal that's completely ridiculous on drums, and I wound up failing after about 30 seconds. Now, are are you a drummer at all? I, I am a frustrated drummer. Uh, as a drummer, I'm a pretty good writer. Uh -huh. So, have, have you uh, played in any actual bands, or is, is rock band your your claim? I have played I've played in some some garagey type bands with friends, but um, nothing. You know, I mean, you're around Boston. You can see a lot of this this brilliant musicians every time you cross the street. So. I think I wound up just being a bigger fish in a smaller pond, getting into the writing. But um, being being around rock band certainly allows me to get a lot of that out of my system. And uh, rock, rock band is not one that I've, I've I've done Guitar Hero, which obviously is your competition, I guess. Yeah, but rock band has yeah, but um, I think rock band's a lot cooler. Yeah, there's cer certainly a, a different song. You know, much much more interesting song list. Right now, the I guess the big thing is the Beatles coming out on Rock Band soon. Yeah, and I'm glad to say I did have some input into some of the writing, text writing that that will be in that game. So that will be great. Um, I'm not can't say you know the Beatles. The details of the Beatles is a pretty closely guarded secret at this point, but I can tell you it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people are looking forward to that since you can't. Can't buy any downloadable Beatles. You can buy the CDs, but you know that's the other big thing is you can't buy Beatles on iTunes. And when is that going to happen? And yeah, and you know, next thing. 
Yeah, and the Beatles remastered catalog is going to be put out the same day we do we put out the game, so that's going to be great fun. I think the, it's going to be a big day for Beatle Beatle nut people. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, I'm going to put out a couple more announcements here for the folks listening who are still listening. I know they've been complaining a lot about being able to hear me, but yeah. that's just the. the the way it is, but I've got the... You're doing great. So, let's see. So, folks who are interested in the sound check and the TR meet and greet deal, the auction for that is going to begin sometime tomorrow at Ticketmaster.com. So, if you want to get in on that, uh, check out Ticketmaster and find the Akron Show 1 page. There will be more details posted on the awatslive.com as they become available. And the auctions are going to run for two weeks. Now, the minimum bid for this is $200. And the winners will get to go to a sound check on Sunday and have a 20-minute meet and greet with Todd following the sound check. Both activities can be videotaped by the attendees as long as they sign a contract about not sharing the videos online, etc. And anybody that went to Toddstock knows all about video contracts. Winners will also get an official AWATS event poster that will be autographed by Todd. Now the question in the chat room here says, who's doing the auction? And the answer is, I don't know. Just as it's being done on techmaster.com. Now, another question that's coming up is about is going to be the camera policy for the AWATS gigs. And Doug and Mel have not got any uh, discussion on that yet, but they plan to do so soon, and they will share the information as soon as they know something. Of course, the goal is to have cameras allowed, so we certainly want to see that. The AWATS t-shirt and poster are still not ready to be sold, but negotiations are underway with Arthur Wood. He was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he did the original album cover, and he's going to do the poster. And let's see, Doug says an offer was made to Arthur today via FedEx, so that particular negotiations are are underway. And if you saw the news last week about Todd doing a live at Daryl's house performance, that was last Wednesday, it will start airing on the Live at Daryl's house website on August 15th. So we have about a month to wait before that's going to be out there. But people have been looking forward, been suggesting Todd be a guest on Live at Daryl's house for some time, and now it's finally happened. I haven't heard anything specific about the particular recording, but August 15th it should be available for listening to. So look at that, and of course I will have that information once it's known on the TR Connection, and, and it will be spread around by many people. So hopefully that will be a good performance to watch. So back to you, Brett. Hello. Talk a little bit more about your 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 more recent book, the, the 
sound of our town. Yeah. We talked about it a little bit with, with Bill there. And so it's sort of a history of just local groups, now, both, both sort of big and small that come out of Austin. Yeah, one thing I one thing I really wanted to do, you know, wanted to do for a bunch of years was kind of tell the story about why, you know, why Boston and what made our scene special and, you know, it's it's the story of my life in a lot of ways because I I spent so many years living around the clubs and and uh just falling in love with a lot of the music that came out of here. So, uh the fun part for me was kind of tracing it back to uh, back to the 50s, and we had a group called the G-Class that had a, a, a hit song called Kading Dong that made the national charts back then, and to take it up through things like uh, in the 60s, we had Barry and the... There, there's a Todd connection for you. Barry and the Remains had uh, N.D. Smart on drums, so I think played on, played on Runt. Oh, yeah. So, so there's, the, uh, there's the first uh, Boston, Boston Todd kind of connection. Uh, Andy Smart, the, the Remains drummer, also played at Woodstock as part of Leslie West Band. So I'm, I'm covering all this obsessive trivia about Boston rock history was part of it. And to sort of get to the picture of why uh, a city that's kind of known for being kind of Puritan and kind of being out of the mainstream wound up having such a vital scene over the years. And also to tell the stories of a lot of the people that have done the music and a lot of the a lot of the characters that have come out of Boston music or been close to my heart over the years. So uh I mean one one of the one of the fun things that I did was to go from uh the neighborhood where the G class started in the sixties in the fifties rather, and then the same neighborhood where around a few corners the Dresden dolls were starting in the uh in the in the last few years, and sort of uh, how two incredibly different things would come out of the same same kind of street corner and same kind of neighborhood. Now, I I, I know I, I think it's in the in the book, but I I know that you mentioned it. That there's a band called the Liars. That, that oh yeah, uh, probably. What's that? Is that a local Boston band too? Probably my favorite Boston band ever are the Liars. Um, I don't know if anyone out there has heard them. Um, I, I highly recommend finding them. Um, a band that kind of does the three-chord garage rock thing with a, with a whole lot of soul and a whole lot of feeling and a whole lot of insanity and just to have, have got it right in a lot of ways. They're, they're probably the band I've seen the most in my life. And also their lead singer is a very very, very much of a character and very much of a personality and I, I certainly had some had some good moments with him that I that I got into the book. Yeah, I, I noticed that, of course that their name is spelled L Y R yeah. and of course Todd's band of the Liars tour was Todd Rundgren and the Liars, but you know, no relation between those two bands other than Yeah, there there was some talk about that in Boston though, that there was, you know, there was there was this uh, this other band that, uh, but but you know Todd was clean because he spelled it that way. Certainly two very two extremely different bands. Most definitely. Let's see. All all of my canned questions are gone. I enjoyed them. So, uh, anything else that you want to to talk about? We have 
Do we have a, another hour available, or we can close it up? Uh, um, I, I think uh, I, I I might be somewhat running out of gas, but I really enjoy this, and just uh, thank want to thank everyone for giving me the chance to talk and to listen. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. I, I, as I mentioned to you, I I told Doug to contact you about getting on the show because I think you have a lot of insight that that helps helps you know other people understand you know what's involved in in music reviews and liner notes and and all of that kind of stuff that comes from fandom. We have a number of of amateur reviewers online, but it's nice to to have a professional viewer reviewer out there to uh, find out. Well, uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are are you planning on going to any of the uh, Watts shows? In- oh, I'd love to. I mean, that's you know, with work, it's hard to get out of out of Boston much. I, I'm sure hoping this going to wind up being a tour. Yeah, there's but, some some talk of a few additional shows beyond the ones that have been scheduled, but. It'll be awful nice to see. I mean, it was a little frustrating that we didn't get an arena show until, you know, pretty much the tail end of that whole swing. So I was a little worried about whether I was going to miss it altogether. But as you know, it did come to uh, that Showcase Live room a couple of months ago. And um, I, I, I particularly enjoyed that show because for me, being being an old Utopia fan, you know, it was it was pretty – you know, not not quite the same, but but close enough for jazz to the whole Utopia experience, particularly to see uh, Chasm and Todd singing "Trapped" again. You know, when when Todd is putting together a band like that, especially with with the Liars, with Chasm on bass there and everything, a lot of people were calling it the new Utopia. You know, sort of almost predicting the new cars, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but with uh. I mean, we, I, I, I definitely remember like a lot of uh, l- loud guitar slinging moments in the Utopia days. So it's great to see a bunch of those on the last tour. Well, I, I know that we'll get a, an extra shot of that with the Watts because uh, you'll have three fourths of Utopia right there. So I still, I mean, yeah, and also I can, you know, I can't imagine what Watts is going to sound like live. I mean, we've heard. We've heard a few of the major songs, or most of the major songs from that record, played live in different combinations. But uh, my first thought was like, "What's Dogfight Giggle gonna sound like?" You know, <laughs> who gets to stand up? What's that? Well, Todd did say that he wasn't going to be uh, carrying around a pack of dogs with him. So, I just want to know who gets to get up in front of the mic and do that. <laughs> I mean, that would be one of my favorite things about a show—just to see somebody attempt that. That's definitely uh, something we're all looking forward to. So yeah. Now, have have you done many reviews, you know, in in the press for for Todd albums at all, or or is the liner notes pretty much it? I have I have reviewed quite a few over the years. I mean, particularly during the '80s and '90s, I was uh, I was pretty active. Um, I don't know how many of them are online. I mean, I did write for. I wrote for a paper in Amherst called The Valley Advocate and did did review that. I mean, I mean, and, and as Bill pointed out earlier, I was very much into the acapella record when that came out, so I so I do remember raving about that. But um, I mean, I did. They did send me. I was writing for the Globe in the 80s, and I do remember going to a few uh, 
reviewing a few Todd shows and a few Utopia shows over the years. In fact, I, I remember um, I did a write-up of the last uh, Utopia Tubes double bill that came around after POV, and being really favorable, but also knowing that, feeling that something was strange in the air, that it wasn't, you know, that maybe something something was brewing, and then, of course, finding out a while later that both bands were breaking up. Yeah, I, I saw the, the, the Tubes Utopia POV tour here in California, and you know, I really enjoyed that. Of course, it was the last time I saw Utopia. I did not get to go, although it, it was actually within easy driving distance to, to the, the Redux tour, but that didn't happen for me. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. But, uh, um, yeah, so so I did, uh, I did get to do a, a good number of reviews. And uh, I think, you know, I mean, people around here, you know, know that I've partial, been partial to certain bands over the years, and Todd and Utopia being one of them. Well, I guess, you know, the, the, the common question for a lot of Todd fans is, you know, do you have a specific favorite album? Or, you know, is there one that just stands out among above all the others? Um. Not a single one, um, you know, partly depends on my mood, but I've always really, really loved the first Todd Rungan's Utopia album. Um, you know, the first, uh, the first five minutes of the icon, I, you know, I've never, I, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever heard anything quite like that, and I still really love that. Um, Oops, Wrong Planet is really high up on the list for me. Um, um, Termit of Mink Hollow would be pretty high up on the list. And um, I'll say that Arena is my favorite in quite some time. Definitely, Arena has has uh, struck a chord with a lot of people. You know, they were yeah. pretty people, and uh, especially the live shows have been really well received. Yeah, and you know, not not leaving out the obvious ones too. You know, something anything in A Watts. I mean, you can't fault those records. But and, and Todd, the Todd record too. But um, you know, certainly a lot. You know, lots of things over the years have, have certainly been real valuable to me. Now, how did you feel? You know, Todd the Chameleon. You know, so when albums like uh, Nearly Human and Second Wind came out, you know, and that was a, de a definite shift in his sort of. You know, I'll do it all myself, and and all of a sudden now here's a big band type of approach. Uh, how did you feel about those? Um, I mean, I enjoyed those. I mean, to me, that's all kind of one. You know, the kind of more soul soul oriented strain of Todd's music, which I really enjoy. But I think I personally tend to gravitate more to the more to the rock and prog rock and pop and pop side of things. I mean, I think for somebody who does as much as he does, you you tend to. Uh, Prefer, you know, you you like it all, and but there's one strain of it that you especially warm to. Um, Nearly Human for me was one that really came came alive when I saw it when I saw it live. I mean, the record, the record I didn't immediately warm to, and then I saw it live, and I thought, oh yeah, okay, now I get this. Um, Second Wind, I had it the other way around. It was easy because I got to see one of the rehearsal shows before he made the record. Yeah, we saw. Second Wind here in Sacramento a few days before they went to San Francisco to record it. And yeah, I was actually at one. I went to one of those shows. That was when I was living in L.A. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it was it was nice to be able to see something for the first time. The only the only other experience I had was that when we saw the uh, the current album by the the original. Yeah, arena. Gosh, <laughs> yeah. Turning to bus here. We saw Arena in Hawaii, you know, when he premiered it at Toddstock, and so that was the same kind of experience. These are songs that we have never heard before, and now we are hearing them for the first time. Uh, you know, the, the, this unique group that that is getting to hear it for the first time ever. And yeah, so, I mean, as you as you remember, if you saw one of the Second Wind shows, he was kind of uh, sharing what the songs were about and what he. What what prompted him to write this or that song before he played them, which is something you don't normally get with him after the record's out. So it was uh, that was really good. That made it made it a little more a little more special. Yeah, most definitely. I thought I had some other thing on my mind here, but I oh I know that nearly human when when that came out, it actually. At least the one of the nail got a lot of airplay here in Sacramento, mostly because of the bourgeois tag connection, because they were a band from Sacramento that was also well-known in this area. And so the, the local radio DJs, when they actually had control of what they could play, were playing a lot of that just because bourgeois tag was, was a lot of the musicians that were on that album. Yeah, it got completely ignored in Boston, sad to say. And I think I've seen that, you know, where different parts of the country will, you'll you'll hear Elvis albums getting longer airplay, and and out here in California, you hardly hear anything at all. I, I think the only thing I ever hear on the radio when I do listen to the radio is is you know the standard "Hello, it's me" and and I saw the light. Yeah, I barely even hear that anymore. Yeah. And we've got a couple of stations, you know, that play the light rock in there. Uh, they're a pretty, pretty constant rotation with those particular, at least those two songs. And of course, the, the bang the drum all day, you can hear that just about any Friday on any station, you know. But, yeah. But still be nice, you know, you wonder, you know, why don't they play some of these other songs that, that, people would really enjoy if they just got a chance to hear them. Yeah. Okay, I think, I, I think I'm going to have to run. Hey, Brett. Well, we really appreciate the time that you have. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed having you. And All right. And uh, hope I see you at, at one of the shows somewhere down the line. Yeah, that would be, be fun to see you. All right. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks a lot, Brett. Bye-bye. Well, that looks like it's probably going to wrap up this particular edition of Run Gooner Radio. I know that I, I've sounded like I've been in a can and uh, not sure exactly what that is. But I think it's time to start wrapping things up. I've done all the announcements. I've, I've done what I can. I suppose it's not a, an absolute train wreck. And uh, we'll, we'll know if Doug ever asks me back for a second time. <laughs> but uh, DC has been the, the silent co-host here. She's been sitting by my side the whole time and, and trying to distract me with different things. 
But if anybody has anything else, I'm looking at the chat room here just in case you got anything else going on here. Oh, Pippi wants to call in. We could take your call if you want to, Pippi. Yeah, the silent co-host. Say something. Tell, tell us about Todd Fest West. Tell us what you think about the, the last 12, 15 years since we started Todd Fest West. Favorite part about that? I don't know. Don't shrug your head. Just I don't know. I think having it at our house has been the best. Yeah, well, you would. Because we have a pool and it's always hot. Get to meet new people every year that we met with before and have and see our old friends that we have been friends with. Yeah, so we're definitely looking forward to to that event. So the the chat room is is telling people to call in. Give us the history of the TR connection. Okay, well I can. I could do that. We can stretch this out for a few more minutes. Sounds like we're calling. Oh, we have a call. So I think this is someone that I know. So let's bring you Hi. on. Area code 530. It must be Marianne. It is. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> You're doing a great job. And talking about Todd Fest West, it's going to be so much fun. God, your backyard just looks like a, a resort. Oh, thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's just going to be great. Thanks. Yeah, we're, we're definitely looking forward to it. You know, the, the RSVP attendance is, is still pretty low, and usually history has, has shown us that people like to wait to the last minute before they finally commit to it. So, But we, we usually get anywhere between 40 and 50 people. Wow. One of the... the uh, people that were looking forward to it, and it's not absolutely certain, but uh, negotiations are underway that we're going to have Adrian Bourgeois perform. That's uh, Brent Bourgeois' son. And he, wow, that would be great. How neat. I've been, I've been talking with Adrian, and it sounds like he's interested in doing that. And, and Brent is going to be here as well, and we're hoping to tag as well, so, so at least we'll have a, a bourgeois tag reunion here, you know, they may not actually perform, but, but they potentially will both be here. Oh, that'll be fun. Hey, Larry, Larry was wondering, how about your neighbors? <laughs> he says, are we going to be noisy? <laughs> uh, usually a, a lot of the noise happens inside the house, so it's not really that much of a thing. And, and you know, your typical swimming stuff and everything. Uh, we, we talked to one neighbor already behind us, and he's probably going to come, so... There you go. So you just yeah. Papers, that's all it is. That's great. Okay, well, I, I have lost the ability to chat for some reason in the chat room, but I will continue to listen. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for doing this. Sure. You're okay. Well, I will okay. see you at Yep, we will see you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Okay, well, we've got another caller here ready to come in. Oh, no, I guess that was Marianne. Never mind. 
So, so anyway, I guess some, somebody asked about the history of Todd Fest West, and so I'll, I'll throw that in here. We're not going to talk about that for the next 45 minutes, so don't be worried about that. But Todd Fest West began in 1995 when two fans who had never met each other except online, but both lived in Sacramento, decided to to plan a little get-together for Todd Rundgren fans in Northern California. We had heard about these uh, Utopia Fests or, or all of the gatherings that happened in, on the East Coast, but there was really nothing ever happening on the West Coast. And so Debbie Summer and I had been writing back and forth in email. We had never met, but we arranged to meet at the, as I mentioned, Tower Records here. And when I, I said, uh, I'll meet you by the Todd Rundgren CDs. And we went and met there and started planning Todd Fest West. We had our first one in 1995, and for the first 10 years, we had it every single year. Then we took a year off and came back with number 11. And then we took another year off, and we were going to have number 12 last year. And then uh, somebody named Doug came up with a run to the radio event in Las Vegas, and we thought, well, that can, that can be sort of a Todd Fest West type of thing. And someone named Todd came up with a Todd Stock event in Hawaii, and we thought, okay, then we're not going to bother with a, a Todd Fest West last summer. So this year we're doing it again. We're finally bringing it back to Antelope. It will be the third time that we have it here at our place. And so we are looking forward to having one of our fans come and spend the day with us. It will be just a lot of good fun. We're not going to have you know, people like Todd here or anything, a lot of people often ask, you know, does Todd come to Todd's list? list? And no, that, that doesn't happen. We have had some some celebrities. We had Roger Powell one year come. We had Larry Tagg, of course, as I mentioned before, he came. So it was nice to, to have folks like that and and people enjoyed having the Todd's Best West out there. Uh, so I think I am running out of material to talk about. I I just cannot carry it on like Doug does. But oh, yeah, someone here says you guys change the words to GR songs, right? Well, I don't, but we do have a a group of crack songwriters that that go after some of those songs and and do some parody performances of it. A lot of those lyrics are up on the different years for ToddFestWest.com. You can take a look at it. They usually come around a particular theme. I imagine this year's stuff will probably draw from the Arena album. That's typically what they do is they draw from whatever the last album is, and and those guys will get dressed up and, and do some performances, and then everybody sings along and has a good time. So... That's that's the parody portion of the show. Sometimes there's a sing-along. We'll have people bring instruments and they'll sing along. It's usually a spontaneous type of thing. Sometimes it's a little bit planned. Sometimes we've had trivia. Of course, we're listening to music. We're watching DVDs. We're looking at trivia and all of those kind of things. So we definitely have a good time. And it is like... 
you know, for, for many of you that are on the other side of the country, it's, it's a little bit of a trek to come all the way to California. But if you were able to go all the way to Hawaii, then California is only halfway to Hawaii. So you never know. Anyway, we're going to call this one for the evening. And thank you for sticking around. And thanks for Brett Milano calling in. And thank you for Doug and Mel for giving me this opportunity. And, and maybe next time I will be a little bit more polished. Definitely is is a, a tough job, and I I really appreciate how how Doug keeps us up week after week after week, and the trouble that he goes through interviewing guests and and all of those kind of things. So thanks again for the opportunity to do this, and we will see you next week on Rundgren Radio. Hi everybody, this is Todd Rundgren and you're listening to RundgrenRadio.com. You are the crown of the crown, my friend. Well, thank you so much for your support.